Good morning and welcome to our study of the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 6 this morning. And I'd like to begin reading with verse 15. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 15. We looked at that verse of scripture last week for a few minutes. And I just want to start there and read it and just make a comment. What a blessing it was and what a blessing it is to see a finished work. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the children of Israel and the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of the house of God with joy. And underline that word joy as we see the work of these folks in uh, a historical statement. The house, the temple there was rebuilt and it was dedicated and they did it with joy. How the church rejoices today in the finished work of Christ. We look at it from all standpoints throughout the scriptures from the very beginning to the end. It's a declaration of the finished work of Christ, the promise of the finished work, the accomplishment of the finished work. And uh, we rejoice in the completedness of that finished work in the elect as he uh, sends out the gospel through his gospel preachers and they declare the word and this one and that one, God saves, Holy Spirit regenerates and they become part of the finished work and it will all be finished in due time. In verse uh, uh, 16, uh, the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of captivity kept the dedication of the house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bullocks or oxen, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and for a sin offering for all Israel, twelve he-goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Over in the book of 1 Kings, when Solomon dedicated the original temple that was built, there were 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep were used to dedicate that. That's found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 63. Well, in verse 18 we have here in this passage of scripture in the book of Ezra chapter 6, And they set the priests in their divisions, and the Levites in their courses, for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. What a statement is made here about the, the uh, book of Moses. It was written in the book of Moses, which is the book of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, come upon Moses in a very special way. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And all the books of the Old Testament and all the books of the New Testament were given in such manner as God came upon those folks. And we find that the folks that were used to write the, the uh, uh, Bible... Uh, were not holy in themselves, but they were only holy in the holiness of Christ, the holiness of God. They had been saved by the grace of God. They lived only because of Christ, and uh, they looked to Him as we do today. And these words that were written, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, the Lord said, uh, in there in the New Testament, if they'll not believe Moses, they'll not believe though one rose from the dead. So the gospel is declared throughout all of these books, 
all the Old Testament, the New Testament. They're the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the difference, the difference is who or what are you looking for when you read the Bible? Are you looking for a works-oriented gospel? Well, you're going to find that. You're going to find a few verses that you'll agree with there. But if you're looking for Christ, you'll find that he is the completed work. He is the completed a, a completion of our salvation. He is all in, in all. So what are you looking for as you go to the Word of God? Are you looking for hope? Look to Christ. If you're looking for help, look to Christ. If you're looking for self-satisfaction, you'll find those folks that are in the Bible that did their own thing, and they were thankful they were not like other men, and particularly not like the sinner over here. Uh, they uh, satisfied themselves by their own works, and that goes on today. So we just leave you that point. What are you looking for? These folks, they are following what was written in the book of Moses. Or can we follow what's written in the book of Genesis to Revelation? That's our calling. Follow that. And we can only do it as the Spirit leads us. And then it tells us here in verse 19, the children of the captivity. It's an interesting term. Uh, everyone that's ever been saved have been children of the captivity. And uh, we've been captivated by sin, we've been held in captivity by sin, and now we are bond servants or bond slaves of the Lord. We have a captivity there, and he will not loose his hold upon us. He will not relinquish us or release us into that uh, bondage of sin again. He's paid the price, and his people are free in Christ. So here it says, the children of the captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the first month. I'd like to spend a little time today on that thought of the Passover. The children of the captivity, they kept the Passover. This verse is record, uh, is a, one of ten recorded passages in the scripture when the Passover was observed. Uh, there are there are inferences to other places the Passover was observed, but there are ten passages in the in the Bible that we find that the Passover was observed and their significance about each of those places. So I'd like to quickly this morning go through these ten places, and we're going to have to do this hurriedly, and uh, we'll we'll not make a lot of comments, but we want to make a few. The first one that we want to turn to is is the place you know about, we all know about, over there in the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, we find that for a number of chapters here in the book of Exodus, uh, the Lord had been bringing these plagues upon upon Israel, and, uh, excuse me, upon Egypt. And Israel had been exempted from those plagues. Uh, there was light in Goshen when there was no light in Egypt, and how the Lord protected his people. Well, it's approaching the time of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. The children of Israel, his people, would be in bondage for 400 years, and we're approaching that time. Now, God has a magnificent timepiece. It's always on time. That needs no correction, and it is approaching the time God made a promise to Abraham and God's promise is going to be fulfilled. And this last plague upon Egypt and this rich blessing upon Israel is recorded here in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. And it tells us in verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron 
in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Underline that. A male of the first year. Underline that. Ye shall take it out of the sheep or the goats. Underline that. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. It's going to be a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year, sheep or goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. So for these days, from the tenth day to the fourteenth day, this lamb was set aside. And then it tells us in verse 6, The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The whole congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. This lamb was set aside not to become a pet, but to become a sacrifice. And then we read there that after the lamb you shall keep it, in verse 7, you shall take of the blood and strike it upon the two doorposts and upon the upper doorposts of the house wherein you shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall you eat it. And then uh, it tells us here in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, drop down with me to uh, verse 14 there. It says, This day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, verse 40 of this chapter, verse 40 of the 12th chapter of the book of of, uh, uh, Exodus, verse 40. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. So uh, they kept the Passover, it says, at midnight. And after midnight, they all left the land of Egypt. That 30 years was the time period that Joseph was alive. And the 40 year, or 400 years was from the time he died. And the king put them in captivity, into bondage, into slavery, until they were set free. And God sent unto them this wonderful, significant picture, this type, this shadow of who truly will set his people free. And that's the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God is going to set them truly free, and there are many among them, or some among them at least, that knew the significance of this. Uh, Over in the book of Hebrews, it said, By faith, Moses kept the Passover. Now, our faith, the only place that we have real faith is in Christ. It wasn't that he had faith in that lamb. It wasn't he had faith in uh, anything else. He had faith in Christ the Lord. He had faith in his Messiah. And that's the only place that we can have faith in. Real faith is going to be in the object that God Almighty set up, and that that is the person Christ Jesus. So they were there for these 400 years 
in slavery, 430 years total. And it tells us that they were there and God set them free, not to the Egyptians, but to Israel. And in verse 43 of that 12th chapter, it says, The Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is an ordinance, a Passover, there should be no stranger eat thereof. And we read on, it says they must be circumcised if they're going to eat, no stranger. And this really sets uh, us to looking the true Passover, those who truly have an interest in the true Passover, in the Lord Jesus Christ, is mentioned over in the book of Romans chapter 2. So I'd like to, uh, before we go on to the book of Joshua and see the second um, uh, instance or the second observance of the uh, Passover, Turn with me over to the book of Romans. I just want to put this in here because the Passover was not for strangers. It was for the children of Israel. And it tells us a little farther in that same chapter that it was those who were circumcised. And we get over here to the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. We find out the definition for this. In the Old Testament, this was also observed by God. We have the Apostle Paul sharing with us in the and, and uh, uh, enlightening us through the Holy Spirit of these things that were uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is an outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Now the only people that ever have an interest in the real, true Passover, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of his people, the only ones who have ever have an interest, a real interest in that, not self-motivated, but God-motivated, is the Lord Jesus, and it says, it goes on there and says, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, that's regeneration. The only ones that will ever have any real interest in Christ are those who are born again, regenerated, and in this passage of scripture, it's just speaking of of another way of doing it, circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So we have the institution of the Passover. It was very significant to those folks, because that night, they left Egypt. The very same day, 400 years after God had promised that they would go out, just like he said, they left, and we look back, and we see the significant observance, and a lamb was taken, set aside, and we find, and killed. And the blood was put upon the doorposts and the side posts, and when God came through that land, so often we have people assume that it was some angel. It was the angel of the Lord. It was God came through that land, and when he saw the blood, he passed over that house, when you didn't see the blood, there was death in that house. So we can really say that in every household in Egypt, Jew or Gentile, Egyptian or Jewish, there was a death. In some it was a substitute, the lamb. In others, it was the individual. All right, let's go over to the book of Joshua as we look at this second observance that's recorded in the word of God. Now, this is going to be 40 years later. Now, no doubt, during the travels as the children of Israel encamped, that there were times that they observed the Passover um, through those years of wandering. Yet the Spirit remains silent and is pleased to give us this next time in Joshua chapter 5. Why he remains silent about the Passover, that's his business. We're just going to say he was silent. We don't have it. 
They were to observe it, and we can assume that they did. In the book of Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jordan. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn on the self-same day. So from the time that God gave them this wonderful picture of the Lamb of God slain for his people, the Passover, in the book of Exodus chapter 12, we have 40 years to the day we're observing it, and the children of Israel are encamped in Gilgal. They're in crossed over Jordan. And it's going to be the right time, the right place, with the right instruments, the right uh, lamb, and all the things that went with it. Joshua is going to observe that. So we see it carried on, 40 years. If you'll turn with me to the number three place. Number three. Now, I don't hold a lot of stock in the uh, uh, numbers or, or the dates that some people put on different places of the Bible, but I did look up in a reference Bible that it was 1451 B.C. when Joshua observed this. Now, I mention that because the same person has done some study, and uh, we're not going to set any doctrine on it, but there are times, over time, we find these things happening. So in 1451 B.C., Joshua, and in the book of uh, 2 Chronicles, chapter 29, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we have the next observance that's mentioned in the scripture of the Passover. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, we're going to read chapter 29, just a couple of verses here to set the stage. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, has, his father, had done. Now, we don't find this very often as we go through the Kings and the Chronicles, that someone did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it wasn't because he was a good fella. It was because God looked at him as redeemed. That's the only way God can look upon us and say we're right in the sight of the Lord. Our works don't make us right. It is only the blood of Christ. It is only what God has done for us that makes us right. So Hezekiah began to reign. He did that which was right. Now let's go to the next chapter here. Second Chronicles chapter 30. And there in verses 1 through 3. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover until the Lord God of Israel. So in his studies, as it was brought to his attention, he realized that they needed to take care of the Passover. They hadn't been doing it. And in verse 2, For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation of Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at that time. I want us to notice here that as God reveals these things to us through the writer of the book of Second Chronicles, that it was not specifically the day that was important. That was important. It was a new day for Israel over there in the book of Genesis, excuse me, Exodus. And we find it was the same time over in the book of Joshua. 
But here in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 30, they kept the Passover, but it was in the second month. It was not the day, but the subject that was so important. It was the same lamb slain. Now, the reason they could not keep it on the first month is that they were not prepared. They were not cleansed. They were not sanctified for it. So, they have permission to go ahead and have it here at this time. It says in verse 3, The priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together in Jerusalem. So they're going to do it in the second month. Well, hallelujah. What would it happen if we all could only meet on Wednesday or Thursday or Sunday? Well, it's not the day. It's who we worship. We worship the Lord God Almighty and not the day. I recognize the fact that we observe on the first day of the week, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if that's the only day you observe the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and not on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, we are miserable people. We observe it every day. When we pray, if you really pray, then you have observed the resurrection of Christ because he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. In Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 5, look there. So they assembled or established a decree to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Dan, Beersheba even unto Dan, that they should come and keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it for a long time in such sort as it was written. So they've been remiss, but now we have someone that says we need to come back to the gospel. We've, we've allowed it to uh, be so separate from us. We've allowed other things to come along, those kings that led us astray. But now we're going back to the way. We're going back to the truth. We're going back to the, uh, uh, the life. And the picture of it is the Passover. That Nobody that knows anything is going to trust that lamb, that animal, to be their salvation. They will trust the one it represents. Well, as we look down through in verse 10 now, so they sent out the evangelists, the posts. These are the postmen of the day. They sent them out, passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulon. And we notice the common result of hearing the gospel. They laughed them to scorn and mocked them. That's the common result. It is uncommon when we read verse 11. Nevertheless, some, diverse of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulon, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Here we have the, the nevertheless, those few that came. You would think that those of Judah and Benjamin would come. They'd be the first in line. Yet it was some of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulon that came. Why? The Spirit of God moved upon them. Why? Because they were God's people before the foundation of the world. They at least typified and picture that. We find the strangest of people, the Apostle Paul, Strange person, Saul of Tarsus, nobody wanted him around him. He was such an evil, wicked man, and he was angry to the bone, and yet in God's good pleasure, nevertheless, he heard the gospel and God brought him. The fourth time we find this wonderful occurrence of the Passover, again, is Second Chronicles, but it's in chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 34. And there in verse 1 and 2, again, we have a king. He's eight years old. He begins to reign. He reigns in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1. Josiah. Uh, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. 
And he reigned in Jerusalem one, one and thirty years. Verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Hallelujah. What a leader that would be. Not to give in to any influence unto the right or to the left, but to go straight forward. Well, in uh, uh, move to Second Chronicles chapter 35 now, and we see what he did. Just wanted to introduce him there in chapter 35 and verse 1. Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. Well, there's enough prepared that they can do it on the 14th day of the first month, but we notice, just like in all the Passovers, passed during the times of the Lord Jesus, they killed the Passover. They killed the lamb. It was set aside. They killed the lamb. They kept the Passover. And if you'll look with me in verse 7 of this, Josiah gave to the people of the flock lambs and kids, all for the Passover offerings. Josiah the king. Isn't it wonderful for us to discover that it is the king that gives the lamb? It is God that gave his only begotten son. That it is he is the true Passover lamb and he is given. He was selected by the father. He was chosen by the Father. He is made in the covenant of grace to be the Lamb of God. They kept the Passover. There in verse 7, the king provided all the lambs, all for the Passover offerings, for all that were present to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bullocks. These were the king's substance. And then if you'll turn with me to verse 18 and 19 of this passage of Scripture, it says, And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel, from the days of Samuel to the prophet. So we have an assumption here. During the times of Samuel, they were doing the Passover. We don't have the record of it. The Holy Spirit has been pleased to remain silent about those. But he did bring out here, when we have this Passover during the days of Josiah, that no Passover was like that since the days of Samuel. What a wonderful observance that was. The lamb was killed. There was a whole bunch of people saying, what does this mean? And those were able to say, this is a picture of the Redeemer. This takes us back down to Egypt when we were in bondage. And God set us free. When he saw the blood, he passed over us. And we moved out into the land. And we took over the land eventually. And here we are. And now we've come back to the truth. We've come back to the true Passover the Lord Jesus. No Passover was like this one. Verses 18, uh, it says there, such as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites, and all Judah and Israel were present in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So everybody that was appointed to be there was there. All, all Judah and Israel were present. You know how many will be present in eternity? All of spiritual Israel will be present. All the church will be present. None will be left out. It doesn't look like much is happening. But there will be a number that no man shall number, and they will be assembled. So all Israel will be present. And then, as, as we move along, we find in verse 19, In the eighteenth year of the reign of Josiah was the Passover kept. So he's a very young boy when he takes over. But in the eighteenth year of the reign of Josiah, the Passover is kept. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and the only way we can do that is to have Christ as our Savior. Well, the fifth time that we find in the Scriptures is the one we read about in the book of Ezra, our passage of study today. And it tells us there that the children uh, kept the Passover. So 
the Spirit is pleased to remain silent with regards to the days of Ezra to the New Testament. We have no record of it through all that time. There is a mention in the book of Ezekiel about the Passover, but we're going to move on to the book of John chapter 2 and verse 13. Excuse me, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to go there first. We find that it was a custom, it was a custom of Mary and Joseph to go to the Passover. It tells us right here in the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So it's their custom to go down to Jerusalem and to observe the Passover. And it tells us in verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So we have record of the Lord Jesus going down to Jerusalem, and there the observance of the Passover. There was the lamb slain. There was the blood shed, just like we find out throughout all the Old Testament. Now we noticed it wasn't so much the day that it was kept, but the object What is the object? The object is the slain lamb, the lamb that was set aside, the lamb that was kept. And then on the 14th day of the month, they slew that lamb. They killed that lamb. There was not one lamb that was ever given uh, a reprieve. That lamb was slain. And we're going to find that with the Lord Jesus. I've had people tell me, if I lived in the days of the Lord Jesus, I would not have let him be killed. Well, Peter was going to say the same thing, but he learned what it was. We need this Passover lamb. When God sees the blood, he'll pass over us. Without that, he will not. So those that are without Christ, he will not see any blood, and he will not pass over them. He will judge them in accordance to his law. So at the age of 12, the Lord went to Jerusalem for the Passover, and we find here that uh, that wonderful instance where he tells us in verse 49, how he tells his uh, mother and his stepfather, I, they they lost him. They couldn't find him among the family, and they go back to Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple. And there, the doctors are asking him questions. Those doctors of the law are asking him questions, and you know what? He's answering them. Why? Because he's God. On his mother's side, he's twelve. On his father's side, he is eternal. He is the eternal Son of God. So he's answering. Their, their questions are being asked, and he's answering them. And then when Mary and Joseph come in, uh, in verse 49, he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I was about my father's business? So he is there uh, being the uh, picture of the future of his life. He is the Passover lamb. It's not his time yet. It's not his time. His time would come. All right, now, John, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, and there in verse uh, 13, John chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is after he has uh, begun his ministry, and being about 30 years of age, and he goes down to the Passover. He goes down in four times to the Passover. The last time he goes, he observes the Passover. We'll read about that. He does it with his disciples. And then he is turned over to uh, the religious and the political leaders, and he is uh, condemned to death, even after they have said, we find no fault in him. And truly, we will see him as the Passover lamb. 
All right, John chapter 2, verse 13, the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, observing what was going on and saying, my time is coming. I will fulfill this. All the types, the shadows, and the pictures from the book of Exodus down to this very time, I'll fulfill them. They were a type and a shadow and a picture, but I will be the real Lamb of God. John chapter 5 now. John chapter 5. And there in verse uh, uh, 1. John chapter 5 and verse 1. After this, there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And uh, he goes, uh, there is the uh, Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. He goes up to the feast of the Jews, the Passover, and then he does this wonderful thing for this one. Will you be made whole? Rise, take up your bed and walk. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and there in verse 4, John chapter 6 and verse 4, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And verse 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? You know, I've read this passage of Scripture a number of times, but I never connected it with an illustration of the Passover. He truly is the Passover. He's the bread of life. And he demonstrates that. Nobody can do what he did. Nobody can multiply fish and bread like he did. We just can't. It's impossible for us to do that. But nobody can be the Lamb of God like he is. Not even a lamb animal can be the Lamb of God as he is. So, and then would you turn back with me to the book of Luke? Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Luke chapter 22 and verse 1. The feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So here we have this wonderful Passover, this last Passover. I know a preacher that uh, went and observed the Passover, and I didn't even know the gospel, but I knew that was wrong. It's, we don't need a physical Passover anymore. It's been done away with. They can do it all they want. There's no significance in it. it. There was no significance in the temple any longer, and that's why we have it destroyed in AD 70. Why people want to have that rebuilt when we have the true temple is beyond me. The pastor I had in religion said, we're going to reestablish animal sacrifices during that time. And I said, Even then, it was just nonsense. But when you're saved by the grace of God... That stuff is just put away. My goodness, we have the temple. We don't, and we have the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We don't need animal sacrifices reestablished. We don't need a physical temple anymore. Our temple is Christ. And his church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have it. But here in the book of Luke, chapter 22, now dropping down to verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. The Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Now this is the only time in the New Testament that we have the Lord Jesus doing these things. This is the last Passover. Go prepare the Passover. The Passover must be killed. His time is approaching. 
And they said unto him, Where will we find that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall be a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he entereth in. And they shall say unto the good man of the house, Ye shall say unto the good man of the house, Master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. Isn't that something? How the Lord Jesus influenced this man without even visiting with him. The Holy Spirit influenced. How how are God's people influenced? By the Spirit of God, we wonder, where did that come from? How did I get to see that? It's of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for His Spirit. And the Spirit of God is all-powerful, just like the Father, the Son. Sometimes the Spirit is given so little ability uh, he just is not able to do... we got to make him successful, so we're going to go through all these charades. Well, thank God for the Holy Spirit, who is all-powerful. He touched this person. The Here's the room. Make ready. And then verse 13, And they went and found it as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now this, this very night, the Lord Jesus will be betrayed. This very night, the Lord Jesus will be uh, uh, taken out and crucified. And we find that as his trial goes on, these folks that are, they don't want to enter in because they'll defile them. And they won't, the religious people, they'll be defiled. They won't be able to observe the Passover. Well, here he is taking care of that, and we have noticed a number of things concerning the Passover. It's institution, it's keeping. Something sometime on the uh, 14th day of the first month and sometimes not. Sometimes it was forgotten. Sometimes it was mocked. Yet, with each one recorded, there was a commonality. A lamb, a male of the first year without spot or blemish. And this lamb was killed, not one was spared at the last minute. The Passover was for a specific people, not for strangers. The Passover observance never changed until the final recognized one with the Lamb of God, the antitype of all the lambs was offered to ransom his people. This lamb, the Lamb of God, was the antitype of all those lambs, and he offered himself to ransom his people. This special observance was very significant. Though so many ages, the shadow of the Lord was observed so religiously, with such exactness. It was very important to be on this day. Once in a while we couldn't, so they moved over here. But the lamb was always there. The lamb slain was always there. The lamb killed was always there. How infinitely monumental must be the Passover of Jesus' blood if this was so significant over all those years from the institution in Egypt down to the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. The remedy has never changed. The blood of the Lamb, the message of the gospel has never changed because man and his nature has not changed over time for the better. In fact, we could probably say it's got worse. God has not changed. He is just to slay the sinner because of sin. 
He will excuse none. The sin debt must be paid in full, or eternal death is the result. The shed blood of the Lamb is the only item that will prevent the just condemnation to hell and eternal punishment. His blood has to pay all our sin, and it will pay for all the sin of all his chosen. If he doesn't pay for one sin in us, he's paid for none of them. He must pay for them all, and he has. The requirement is the shed blood of the true Passover lamb. Now, the Apostle Paul brings this up in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and there in verse 7, we find as the Apostle Paul is used by the Spirit to send some help, uh, spiritual help, guidance, direction to the church at Corinth, his brethren, his friends. He tells us there in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He is identified as the Passover lamb. John did the same thing. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Those that understood what John was saying, just the words of it, understood what he was intimating when he pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. They, he was intimating, he was telling, whether they believed it or not. And, you know, people don't believe because they don't understand the, the definition of words. They don't believe because they're unbelievers. But once you have been given the belief, you understand that the Lord Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He is the one that sets us free. He must die. And he did die, but no man took his life from him. He laid it down of himself that he might take it up again. And it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead that bruised the Son. That's the covenant of grace. It was they that bruised him. It was he that received it. After all this, Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. So after all this time, the gospel has not changed. Many have tried to add or to take away from it, and yet it has not changed. God still has the requirement. There must be the Lamb of God. His blood must be shed for scriptural, spiritual Israel, and all those shall leave the captivity of sin and be set free. He is their lamb. In his grace and by his shed blood, his absolute payment for all the sin of his, the, and sins of his people. And in due time, all the ransomed will assemble at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there will not be one empty place. All will be there. All Israel shall be there. All spiritual Israel. Those who have been circumcised in heart. Those who are the true children of Abraham. If the subject of redemption was so interesting then, as we find it brought out, Exodus chapter 12, Joshua, first, uh, or Second Chronicles twice throughout the Old Testament in the book of Ezra, the, the, through a figure and a type, what ought it be now when Jesus, the whole sum and substance of it, has come and finished it by his own blood? How much more significant is that? Now in closing, read with me a verse in the book of Hebrews. 
Excuse me. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11. You know that chapter. What a statement it is. Everybody in there, in there trusted Christ as their Savior. That's what faith is. Trusting Christ for all my salvation. If that's not what faith means to you, you have not real faith. It tells us here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28, speaking about Moses. Uh, by faith he, he came of years, refused to be called Pharaoh's son, and down here he forsook Egypt. And in verse 28, through faith he kept the Passover. Through faith he kept the Passover. And the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith. What did he believe? He believed God. He believed God when God spoke to him. He had absolute faith in God's word because God had given him the new birth. He would regenerated him. The faith is always towards the supplier and object of the supply, Christ. Our faith is in no other direction. It's not in ourself. It is in the Christ, the living God, the Passover Lamb. The one that was so significantly spoken of in types and shadows and pictures since the book of Exodus down to the time of Christ. And he became the true Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb. And he shall ever be the Passover lamb. And he is the only one of all the lambs that were slain provided by themselves or provided by the king. He is the only lamb that ever came from the dead. He was roasted as they were. He had not a bone broken in his body. He was there hanging on the cross in his wholeness. His blood was shed. And it was he that said it is finished and gave up the ghost. And yet we find this lamb so much different than the physical lamb. This lamb came out of the grave, came out of the tomb, victorious over all the opposition of the church, all sin and all death and all hell and all the grave. He became victorious over it in his resurrection. So, so he kept the Passover. He sprinkled his blood so that when the Lord comes, he will see the blood and will pass over us, his blood. And we don't sprinkle it. He does the sprinkling. Well, God bless you as we conclude this uh, message on the Passover, the Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. Amen.